Hello and welcome to this week's TES FE podcast. My name is Kate Parker and I'm joined by Julia Balgatai. Hello. And with us this week, we have Audrey Cumberford, the principal of Edinburgh College and one of the commissioners for the Commission of the Colleges of the Future. Hello. Hi, Audrey. How are you? I'm very well. How are you? Yeah, good. Thank you. Thank you for joining us. No problem. So um, it's been touted quite widely um, that in the FEY paper, there will be some consideration about the status of colleges in England. And obviously in Scotland in 2013, um, colleges did return to the public sector. So you'll be able to talk in much more, with much more expertise about this than me. But what was it like for you, you know, leading a college while going through that kind of transition from private to public sector? Um, well, I guess... Actually, what what I think made the situation in Scotland potentially quite different from the, the, the decision that could be taken in England, which is a kind of either or, either colleges stay as they are as effectively independent charitable organisations or they become part of, of government, is that in Scotland at that time, actually the context or the environment that we were operating in was far more complex than that so um if i give you an example one of in fact this is illustrated really well in one of the audit scotland reports they do annual reports on on colleges across scotland and i think it was the maybe the 2016 report i'm not sure um which which flagged up quite clearly what happened to the college sector around about the same time so what actually happened in the college sector at the time of being reclassified was in addition to that we went through a major reform agenda which included regionalisation so so in effect creating regions across Scotland that colleges would then operate within. At the same time as that we also went through structural reform which then led to multiple mergers taking I think 40, circa 40 odd colleges down to 26 colleges. At the same time, and the list goes on, uh, our funding model was changed, our funding was reduced, and we also went from basically as independent institutions negotiating uh, with our own staff in terms of pay, terms and conditions, to a national bargaining mechanism across the sector. All of that happened at pretty much the same time. So, and I suppose the obvious question at that point is, well, yeah, so what? Well, so what is actually, it, it then makes it quite difficult to unpick the cause and effect, if that makes sense. I.e., you know, you know, obviously what we did as colleges, how we operated, how we carried out our business, fundamentally changed, but it changed because of all of the above so it wasn't it wasn't just one thing in isolation so i suppose for my colleagues uh, down south um is that you know or, or if i was speaking to government officials down south i would be saying don't muddy the waters by introducing all of these different potentially major changes all at once because it then becomes very difficult to see well what worked and what didn't work did it sort of, do you feel like the do you feel like the reclassification at that time sort of was the least of your problems then almost 
while you were also um, going through merger well, and, you know? I, I, yeah, okay, so I actually I wouldn't say it was the least of the problems, but it was, it was definitely something very significant in terms of the impact that it had. And I guess for me, you almost have to go back to a question of why would you want to reclassify colleges? Yeah, that's a question I asked at the time. Why would you want to reclassify colleges? Because clearly then that there has to be, I think, an answer that says it's better for stakeholders, i.e. students, staff and the colleges themselves. It provides added value. It provides a clear benefit over and above what is currently the position in terms of the current status of colleges. So, or is there a problem? And if there is a problem, what is the problem? And why is reclassification the answer to that problem? Now, I don't think any of that was clear or answered at the time that it happened. And, and this is, I have to say, this is my personal view and I appreciate it may or may not be shared by other people, but what it appeared to be was a decision based on increasing central control of colleges. Central control of colleges in terms of how we operated in terms of our financial accountabilities. Uh, so how much, uh, you know, uh, budget lines, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, and it was about control of governance. So being able to appoint chairs of boards and then approve the appointment of, of board members. So it was very much about central control over quite fundamental aspects of colleges, namely governance and also the kind of financial reporting and accountabilities uh, associated uh, associated with that. So, um, to me, uh, and and of course at that, that this is this is where it gets slightly different from England. I would say is that at that time, if you think about it, some fundamental changes were being were being uh, uh, kind of developed, i.e., merger, and therefore having central control uh, and being able to basically tell a college or an institution to merge, uh, you could see could be quite attractive uh, for government. Um, the alternative would be that everyone thinks that merger may be the, a good thing to do, but you rely on that coming from the ground up, i.e. the institutions themselves and the principles of those institutions and the boards of those institutions have to basically make that happen themselves. So. I believe that the reclassification was a, also a way of saying, well, actually, if it doesn't come from the ground up, then the other option is it will come from the top down. Mm. I know which, I know where I sit in terms of my preference, which is, and it's a bit like me and my own college, you know, I, my life would be very easy in many ways if I just dictated how things were going to be. But actually, you're not then winning the hearts and the minds of staff and making people feel like they're empowered same thing with ONS and the college sector is that, you know, I would much rather have an auto autonomous, flexible, responsive, accountable sector. And I don't believe you need to be reclassified to get that. So do you feel so do that you increased government control so on a day to day running of the college? Do you, can you feel that there's a different sense oh, yeah. about it? Oh, absolutely no question. I mean, you know, 
you know, down to, you know, literally having to, you know, in effect, because of the, the different accounting rules, et cetera, et cetera, and permissions and reporting, is that, you know, decisions that I, I believe are actually quite operational decisions and not necessarily financially hugely impactful is that actually we now have to jump through a number of hoops uh, in terms of asking permission from the funding council who then I'm assuming have to then get permissions from Scottish government. So there's a whole level of uh, bureaucracy and, and I actually feel like, you know, restrictions like handcuffs almost. You're thinking, hang on a minute, I'm, I'm, I'm running, I'm responsible for an organisation that turns over almost £70 million, employs 1,500 people, 30,000 students, but I have to ask permission to potentially, you know, I don't know, spend £2,000 on something. I mean, it's just, you know, I mean, it's, it's it, it, to me, it just does, just does not make sense. So the hoops that you're having to jump through, there are far more. And fundamentally, I believe that increasingly, and COVID, COVID absolutely get, you know, forces this, is that we have to be far more fleet of foot. We have to be responsive. We have to be flexible. Um, we have to respond very much to kind of regional and local need and demand as opposed to a one-size-fits-all fits approach. Is If we all agree that that agility and responsiveness and flexibility with accountability, absolutely with accountability, because we're publicly funded, absolutely get that. How can we say that on the one hand, and then on the other hand, you're classified in a way that actually almost does the opposite to all of that. So there, for me, there is a, a very real tension, if not contradiction, actually, in, 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 in ONS and, and reclassification. The other, the other big thing for me was around not not being able to hold on to reserves. Now, at the time of merger, yeah, no, at the time of merger, that was important because our financial environment at that time was that colleges were able to generate reserves, often through you know being hugely efficient, but also attracting additional monies, etc. And those reserves were strategic reserves. Uh, you know, they, they, they were, you know, we don't have shareholders, so you don't, you don't make profit and then go and stick it in a bank somewhere. You create reserves with a strategic intent to invest that for the benefit of your students and your staff, etc. More often than not, it was about maybe new campuses and new builds. That's the type of long-term strategic investment you would take. Now, the, the issue we have at the moment is that none of us, well, almost none of us are generating surpluses because our financial position is so dire. So that really only becomes an issue where you're not struggling to balance the books, which the whole, certainly in Scotland, the whole sector uh, is clearly, we are, you know, we are, we are uh, potentially, most of us are posting deficit positions and the chances of us generating reserves is, is, is uh, you know kind of well that that's just would be like a dream at the moment, but and is is nowhere near a likely reality, um, you know. But Do I suppose you... the point the point is the the lack of ability to strategically invest. So if I can give an example, all the colleges I've worked in 
have absolutely been, I would say, entrepreneurial. So I've recognised that if you simply just did what you were paid to do, it could be quite boring. And actually, actually, if we generated more income ourselves, we could do so much more. And that makes it much more exciting and innovative. So you don't just rely on the on the government funding. And I think that's quite a responsible position to be in, actually, to say, okay, public funds, fantastic, but you know what? We'll generate more funds and we'll reinvest those funds. Is it sometimes and this is like being in any business, you have to speculate to generate. So you have to sometimes put upfront investment in, but the return, so the cost and investment is upfront, but the return doesn't come until further down the road. So it could be a year later or even two years later, if you look at international work as an example. In ONS, you can't do that. You're literally operating one month to the next. So there, that whole notion of strategic long-term investment for a major strategic ambition and priority suddenly becomes, you know, well, actually, yeah, but the day-to-day is uh, how much cash have we got and can we pay our staff day, <laughs> if that makes sense. Do you feel, you know, you were talking about um, not being able to generate any extra funds, but obviously as a public body, you know, you, you are you are you cannot go bust whereas obviously the colleges in England and the insolvency um program that you know it's going on a lot of colleges are worried about finances and about them going bust do you feel safer at all being a public body knowing that that won't that can't be the case for you hey, I guess the simple answer to that is yes actually and I suppose in England it's about digging into the why are colleges in England financially struggling and it can be for a whole host of either single reasons or more often than not multiple reasons i.e is the cost of what we do too high and therefore well if it is what does that then mean about how you reform and redesign actually the business models for colleges. So it could be that. It could be poor management, poor leadership, of course. But, you know, it could be a whole host of different things. So again, would being reclassified help solve that problem? Because the, the problem could be multidimensional. So again, I'm not clear, and I would be very interested in the answer, as to how reclassification would actually solve, solve that problem. I think the other thing as well is that, and I don't, I don't know about in England, but certainly through the commission work that I'm doing and in Scotland uh, and the Cumberford Little report was we were making a case that we have a tertiary system and colleges and universities are in that tertiary system. But is that a genuine tertiary equal system and landscape? Now, I would argue in Scotland that we have a tertiary system but it's, it's a binary system, actually, and it's hierarchical, i.e. universities are there and colleges are here, and that it is a two-tier system. So again, I would be saying in England, and I've, I've asked this question in, in Scotland, is that there are universities in Scotland who rely pretty heavily on the public funding that they get. Not all of the universities, but some of them do. Therefore, why would you treat universities differently from colleges? So why reclassify colleges? And in England, I'm assuming there are universities that have financial difficulties for a whole host of reasons. So does that mean that they should be reclassified? No? Well, why not? If you're, if you're applying that argument to colleges, I'd be interested in the answer. 
So speaking in the Education Select Committee um, just last week, David Hughes uh, from the AOC was saying that actually he's sort of agnostic about the status of colleges in, in ONS terms, but what he needs to see is that they still are able to be flexible and responsive in terms of their mission and what they need to do. Do you feel that those two things can be reconciled? Do you think you can be you know, classified as a public sector body in the terms that the ONS sets for you and also be flexible and responsive and, and continue to work in the way that colleges currently do in England? Personally, I, I agree with David in the sense that you have to ask the question is what, what's our ambition? What, what, what does really successful look like? And then say, would reclassification help deliver that or would it help would it en help enable that or would it hinder that and that for me that would be the kind of fundamental kind of question so what are the drivers that goes back to my i guess my first point which is you know what what are are the drivers for this actually because if it's just about saying well, colleges are not very good because they're not financially managing themselves very well therefore we need to take control of them then, I mean, what a hugely negative, actually, position to start from, as opposed to saying, actually, do you know what, reclassification could be really, really good, and here's why, here's the added value that it gives. I do, so I think, and I suppose, Kate, it goes back to your question of there are some securities that come with being part of government, but it's what do you have to give up to have that? actually um, and for me the important thing is actually the, the ideal scenario would be you've got autonomous organisations that recognise they are publicly funded and therefore are accountable for every pound that they spend absolutely uh, because it's the public purse but that we are all working towards kind of national strategies and a very clear national ambition and clear policy which again is probably coming back to the where the commission is heading in terms of, of, of recommendations, you know. Um, Do you feel closer to government in a sort of quite a real sense? I guess there's a lot fewer colleges in Scotland than there are in England. And, you know, you are in the same city as yeah. government as well, which might help. But do you feel closer yeah. to government? Yeah, and I, I actually I do think that's one of the advantages that Scotland, Wales and Northern Ireland have is actually size. And and because because we are smaller, then you know it, it is it's much easier to get the the right people around the table to to be close to the people that you need to be close to. So uh, there there is no question of that. I I I well I know speaking to colleagues in England, uh, that's different because you've got the kind of centre of of power I guess is in London at Westminster, and then you've got what is it three hundred and fifty plus colleges and even then there's like all the colleges are in different groups so you get sixth form colleges and you get technical colleges and you get I mean it's so I mean it is so I think uh, quite complex actually that you know to to get close to government um uh, would I would imagine be hugely difficult difficult in England you know so that that again goes back to what is the actual role of colleges um mm -hmm. You know, and the purpose of colleges, uh, as opposed to setting up all these different types of colleges, you know, is, is uh, challenging, I think. 
Do you think then that being reclassified is something that colleges should be weary of in England? Uh, weary? I would probably say I believe that the colleges should question quite deeply the thinking and the rationale and the outcomes that the colleges would want to see as a result of reclassification, but not just have that conversation themselves, have that conversation with the people who are going to make the decisions. So, you know, the uh, uh, government, because, you know, I suppose we all would want that crystal ball in the sense that, and you'll know the phrase, unintended consequences. If I was to put money on it, I would think that maybe when decisions like that are made, which are big decisions, is that it's really important to try and work your way through and scenario plan your way through the short, medium and long-term consequences and where possible, really, really challenge so that you can try and figure out what the unintended consequences might. If you just do it in your own wee bubble, that's harder, you know, because we're all quite institutionalised, although I fight against that on a daily basis, Julie, as you, you probably know. But do you know what I mean? You could, you could maybe get other people from outside the sector and outside of government to really challenge that in terms of what are the unintended consequences of doing this. You still might come back to the same decision, which is, well, we're going to do it. Fair enough, but at least everybody's aware of what the implications are. Mm. Well, it's certainly an interesting time ahead for the English mm -hmm. colleges. Um, thank you so much, Audrey, for talking to us about it. It's been really interesting to hear what it's actually been like for somebody who's been through the process. Um, so, yeah, thank you for joining us, and um, I'm sure we'll hear from you very soon. Thanks yeah, very much, no Audrey. Very, very nice to meet you, Kate. Great to see you, Julia. We'll see you again very soon. Thank you.